Some of you have even struggled with that, wondering about your identity. Who am I? Then what is my purpose here in life? You know, we, all the time I see people that are lost, searching. They're trying to belong to some group or another group, trying to find an identity to find out who they truly are. And even in our crazy world today, even some claiming to be something they're not. I mean, you hear people even now claiming to be animals. and I mean, just madness, right? We hear about it. So many people in our world do not know their true purpose. They're seeking. They're wondering what the reason is for their existence here. And because they don't understand this in a biblical worldview, they often turn to wrong purposes in life. You know, some of them... I believe even they're trying to belong to all these different letter groups. We know about these letter groups. But even in today's world, I think so many have become obsessed, really, and their goal or their purpose in life now has become that we all would accept their lifestyle. That seems to be their purpose in life. And not that we just must accept what they're doing in their life, their sinful behaviors, but now we can't just be accepting of it, but now we need to also endorse it. You know, a few weeks ago when I taught in Genesis 1, as we were studying the foundations of our faith, we here, I believe, we all know that our foundation, our faith is based on God's Word, our Bibles. Because of this, we know who we are. We have an identity. And we also know what our purpose is. We are made by God. We are made in His image. We learned this. We, were, I just, we just sang it. We were given life by him breathing the breath of life into us. That's, that's purposeful. So men and women, we know, we're made of equal value and worth. Yet, we have different attributes. We are different, aren't we? We also have different roles. Different roles within our relationships, both in marriage and in society. But together, husband and wife, they come together. We were learning about this last week with Nate. United to reveal the relationship to be a picture of that relationship that we can have through faith in Jesus Christ with God. So Genesis 2, last week, left off with the man and woman together in perfect unity with love, with God, with each other, just as God had intended and designed. The three together without sin and free from all the consequences that would come from sin. So, I think most of you know i got to give you a question, right? I always have a question as I get going. A question before we dig into chapter 3 today. Can you have a loving relationship with another person or with God without choice, also known as free will? Can you truly have a loving relationship without free will, without choice? Think about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we dig into your word, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would just be poured out on each one of us, Lord. These would not be my words, they would be your words, Lord. That, Lord, you would just teach us through the studying of your scripture. Lord, through this message, Lord, and these passages, Lord, we'd learn more about who we are, who you are, and what you've done for each and every one of us. So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that this time would just be truly worship before you. And, Lord, you'd remove any distractions that would come in the way of our time of worship. And all God's people said, amen. So everyone got your Bibles? Anyone need a Bible? 
Grab a Bible. You're going to need it. We're no words on Wednesday. We're just doing strictly through the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Let's read the first five verses. Genesis 3, 1 through 5. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So right away here in the first five verses, the temptation of sin has been presented into the garden. So we learn now also, we learn about who is Satan. We learn about Satan. And a little bit to start to learn about his character, who Satan is, and how he acts. Now the serpent in this story we know is Satan. Now many people have debated, I even read some commentaries of exactly what that looks like or how that took place. If Satan was a, the physical serpent or if he was using this in a form of an animal or if it was like possession. Um, you know, we don't know exactly how that took place. We do know, though, through scripture that the serpent is Satan in this picture. Warren Worsby said it like this. I liked how he said this. He said, when he came into the garden, Satan used the body of a serpent. One of God's creatures, he had pronounced good. Eve didn't seem disturbed by the serpent's presence or its speech. So we assume that she saw nothing threatening about the encounter. Perhaps Eve hadn't been introduced to this species and concluded it had the ability to speak. I don't know. It's strange, right? I mean, things speaking to her. Maybe all the animals spoke back then. I don't know about that. But what we do see is sin... It's about ready to enter the garden. And it's entering in a way, the temptation is entered into the garden in a way that would seem harmless. Even maybe interesting as we see Eve's attention to this animal. This helps us know a little bit right away about the character of Satan and the character of sin, don't we? Verse 1 begins with what I see as a warning. In the New King James Version... It says the serpent was more cunning than any beast. We know that sin is brought here before us in a way that is very cunning and crafty. It's typically and always, usually, never presented in a truthful light, is it? It's deceptive. It's disguised in something else as what is true intentions or what it truly would bring. So we're learning already what sin is and who Satan is. Another fact, if I look at verse 1, I see is sin always goes against the word of God. It counteracts what God has said. He says, did God really say? Satan came to Eve using a creation of God that God had said was good and misled her and was lying to her with the goal of leading her into sin from temptation. Breaking that sin now, it would break that relationship between man and God. So we know that's his intention, to break relationships. 
And as is usual, I think even today, and of course in Scripture, Satan has presented sin as a way to be enlightened or a way to bring something more than God has already promised or maybe more than God has given. Satan has made God in this story to be something that he's not. He's not saying, he's saying God maybe is even holding something back. But if you follow, if you look at this, maybe I have even more for you. Maybe in simple terms, you could just say, you don't know what you're missing. Try this. So let's read how this is going to play out in verses 6 through 7. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So again, now we see as we study the, these two verses, sin has entered the garden. And I want to point out some details of how that sin is shown to us through these verses. Because this is our first picture of this in the, in the scripture. So think about sin. What does it look like in the world around us? What's, how do you picture it? How do you describe it? Or how would you even describe sin in our own lives, personally? What's it look like? What's its character? How do you describe sin? Eve, here, obviously was convinced that Satan was telling the truth. She was even convinced, maybe, that she misunderstood the command from God. Think of that as a description of sin, what it led to. But remember, Eve didn't see Satan for who he was, did he? Did she? She had no real knowledge or fear of Satan or sin. You know, doesn't this really just describe the world today? Not understanding that there is something out there seeking to destroy them and not understanding and trusting in God's word. Eve was convinced by Satan to disobey God. But also I noticed one thing, a very important lesson. What did sin look like? What did it look like to her? We look at the passage we see some very descriptive attributes of sin. It says it was, be- it was beautiful. It looked beautiful. It drew her to it and was very appealing to look upon. It was very desiring. Its appearance led her to believe that it was delicious. That's what the scripture says. Believing to partake of it would be very enjoyable. Sounds like sin. She desired also in what she thought it would do for her, what it would bring her, to bring her something that she had been, according to Satan, denied to her before by God. Scary picture. Now, after she took of the fruit, sin, her first response was what? To share it, to introduce it to Adam. He was right there. Here, Trump, you try now. I see it common. Isn't it common, the progression of sin? One of the, it's very common in sin. As a person indulges in sin, one of the first things they want to do is have others join in in the same sinful behavior. Now, almost instantly, or it says their eyes were opened. They knew what they had done, and this brought shame. This was not what Eve was expecting. It brought shame. Satan had lied to her. 
while the first taste, very likely and possibly, I don't know, was very enjoyable, the bitter aftertaste that it would bring would be forever on her lips with no way of ever cleansing that from her mouth. Until Jesus, of course. But think about that. Is that a picture of sin? It just looks absolutely amazing. You take a, it's even enjoyable at first. We can, we can fully admit that, right? Sinful things can be very enjoyable. But what it brings later is something you'll never be able to get rid of. Have you ever had a... I don't know if you guys had this happen. I've had it happen. You ever get a bad smell stuck in your nose? I've dealt with a lot of different messes. Sometimes you get a smell in your nose, and you can't get rid of it. Like, you go to smell something else, it's still there. It's like the most horrendous thing sometimes. And it makes you just want to throw up. Like, when you smell something, the reaction is just horrible. And then, like, sometimes for days, you can't get rid of that smell in your nose. That's like sin, isn't it? It's just there, that lingering. It won't go away. So as we read this, we see the temptation. I think what we need to ask and what we need to know is how each of us get ourselves out of temptation so we don't succumb to sin ourselves. Because we see the picture of sin. We know what it brings. So how do we avoid temptation? I was reading a commentary, and I'm going to share a couple today. In my study Bible, it said this. It said, how could, how could Eve have resisted temptation by following these guidelines? So number one, they said, was first, we must realize that being tempted is not a sin. Now that's interesting. For a long time in my life, I thought sometimes a thought could be a sin, which it could be. I'm not saying it can't be, but many times I didn't realize it for what it was. That very often it could even be a spiritual warfare, that not all my thoughts are my thoughts. Now that, that's tough to get around. But then they continue on. They say, we have not sinned until we give in to the temptation. Then, to resist temptation, we must first pray for strength to resist. I like number two, run. Sometimes, literally. That's some great advice. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's very biblical and it's throughout the Bible. Run. That's the best we got, and that actually is one of the most effective ways to avoid falling into sin when you are faced with temptation. Get out of the situation now. For guys, especially at times, run. And then also number three, it says, say no when confronted with what you know is wrong. That's pretty obvious, I guess. I want to turn all the way to the New Testament to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 12. Everyone's flipping there. James chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to look through verse 15. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. We are not powerless over temptation, over sin. In fact, here it says that we're even blessed by God as we remain steadfast to stay away, to resist the temptation, to pursue holiness. Let's turn back to Genesis. So now as we look back to where we were in Genesis... 
we see Adam and Eve. It's not even Eve yet. I don't know how that works, but they're together, and together they're trying to hide or they're trying to cover up their shame. And so often, isn't this what happens after we sin? We try to hide it. We try to cover it. We don't want it to be seen. So let's see as they're trying to do this, what's going to take place is in 8 through 13. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man said to his wife, heard the Lord, sorry, and his wife heard the Lord God walking about the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. And then the Lord called to them, man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was a woman you gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Verse 13. Then the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Let's stop there. So even now they have sinned. They're trying to hide. As they're trying to hide, what did God do in this picture? He sought them. He called to them. He desired still a relationship with them. He called out to them. God came to them in their sin, in their hiding. And because of their sin, what was their reaction to God when he called upon them and he sought them? Fear. Sin has brought fear into this relationship between them, between us, and God. So much fear to face God that they were hiding from Him. So sin, we see, is very apparent that it draws us away from God. Think about this today. Very often, even in our own lives and those out there, what causes people not to come to church very often? What causes people not to read their Bibles? What causes people not to be in prayer? What causes us to avoid other brothers and sisters in Christ, to avoid other Christians? Fear of our sin to come out. It's very common. I also believe that many times those in sin, we don't admit the cause, do we? I think this is a big thing here, and we see this in this story. Adam and Eve knew their nakedness, and they were ashamed to come before God. But God asks them, what? Have you broken my command? So they said they were afraid. They were naked. That wasn't really what the problem one was it? That was a result of the sin. That wasn't what caused this to happen. Because I think it's common for me. I think it's a lot of people. So often we're ashamed of the consequence of our sin, but not the actual sin. That's what we see here. They're ashamed of their nakedness. What they should have been ashamed of is that they disobeyed God's command, which brought them to their nakedness, brought them to the fear, brought them to a broken relationship. But they don't even mention that. They just mention the consequence. See, that's a problem in all of Christians. We need to be broken of our sin, not of the consequences of our sin. And that's, I think, when you get into true repentance. Many people are sorry for what happened. But to truly be repentant of a sin, of a command from God, is much different it's a very hard truth. And often, you know, the problem is too, often the consequence of sin will continue. Right? Even if you repent of the sin, there's still consequences. And that's a tough one. 
Even though we come to faith in Jesus, we repent of our sin, we accept that gift of salvation, we accept his mercy and his grace and his redemption, there are still consequences or scars in our life from the sinful lifestyles that we've lived before or even can be today. It's a tough one because we see it though in this. The results of sin were going to continue. They were still there. It's a valuable lesson I think we see, especially from Eve. When God is going to eat, ask every single one of them, every single one of us, to account for our sins, what are we going to do? What about Adam? What are you going to do when he comes to you and says, I want account. What have you done? Are we going to blame the devil? Blame our spouse? That's what we see here, isn't it? Eve said to God, Satan tricked me. How do you think that would go over? Have you ever heard someone, the devil made me do it? I've heard that. I don't, I don't think that's going to go well for us. Why did you do these things? You didn't repent. The devil made me do it. That's not, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse for sin. So let's read God's righteous response starting in verse 14 and let's look at 15. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. 15. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. We're going to see a bunch of judgments kind of rolling out here. The first one begins with the serpent, the devil. God curses him to be the lowest of all creation. That's how it begins. In verse 15, then, God also creates what is known as hostility between him and the woman, including in generations to come. Now, I find that interesting. When I first read that, I'm like, what's that mean? But then you think about it. Remember in in verse 1, Eve had no apprehension in talking to the serpent, right? Now... There will be hostility between them. But also look at verse 15. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So now it's turning beyond the serpent and directly addressing Satan. I was reading on Guzik and he says it this way because this gets into a little bit. Here's Guzik's quote. He says, there is no doubt of this prophecy of Jesus' ultimate defeat of Satan. God announced that Satan would wound the Messiah. You will bruise his heel. But the Messiah would crush Satan with a mortal wound. He shall bruise your head. It was as if God could not wait to announce his plan of salvation to bring deliverance through the one known as the seed of the woman. So through this very act that took place, Satan's fate is now determined. He is defeated. With God's word right here in Genesis, he is defeated. Judgment is given through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as long as we're here, though, on earth, living out, there is still consequences, right, of sin. There's a result. There's things that happen because of sin. So look at verse 16. And then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So now the judgments continue. This time, as a result of sin, all women 
will face a consequence from sin, from this sin. Pain in pregnancy and in giving, or in giving birth. So most every woman I've talked to will testify the pain of giving birth is unlike any pain they've ever experienced. It's given here, I believe, as a reminder of what sin does bring, though. It brings pain. Yet, it's amazing as you look at this, as a pregnancy has brought pain, but what a pregnancy does bring afterwards is a new life, a miracle from God. I think there's a picture inside of that also. I don't know. Now, the second part of this verse, I'm not even sure how to comment. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. This is like, I will say this. I thought about this. Due to sin, due to what has taken place here, what has transpired here, and God's judgment upon woman, specifically in this instance, women will always face a challenge of being content in the role that God has ordained them. I'll leave it at that. So, my next note says, do we see this today? We do. It is interesting. In relationships, we truly do, and it causes a woman truly to surrender to God and to her husband. And it's something I believe they have to work on daily. And it's part of seeking God. It's part of a way that they will draw closer to God in trying to submit to their husbands. So you can take that as you want. Verse 17 through 19, moving on. And he said to the man, and to the man he said, actually, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it, and it will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. God's judgment on man has a lot more verses, doesn't it? And we know we can't say, my wife made me do it. He was responsible, right? The man was responsible. So this rebuke begins really with um, a lesson. A lesson for each of us men. You thought I got... A little challenging before in the last verse. You ready for this one? Who do we listen to? Do we listen to God and his commands or our wives? I thought the last one was a little edgy. I'm sure we're all us men's going to say God, right? Of course. I'm going to listen to God. I'm going to follow off his word. I'm going to always lead according to scripture, right? Right? We're all going to say that. I can tell you right now, that's a whole lot more difficult than that seems. What are some of the sayings? What have we all heard? I heard a guy preach on this. It was the worst message I ever heard. A happy wife is a happy life. That was the title of his message. It was a horrific message. Or maybe you've heard, just say, yes, honey, and all your life will be great. Heard that? Yes, honey. God clearly states that the world was cursed The ground was cursed because Adam didn't stand for God's truth and followed his wife's lead and ate the fruit, falling into sin. Now, we all face the results of this and what took place. We will all now struggle to provide, it says. We will all have to work hard to provide. God provided before. 
And the encouraging last part, it's not going to end or get better until we die. But he says, until you return to the earth. So this judgment on sin should drive us to one thing, though. It drives us to call out on Jesus. It drives that relationship that we should have with Jesus to provide in every single area of our life. Because now we are dependent on him. Before he provided, but now we struggle. and We should be driven each and every day, Lord, please provide my daily bread. So this main application I see here, as we kind of go, is that sin can come between all of our relationships. It, it will destroy them, actually, is what it will do. And that's the goal of it. This is what Satan wants. First, to break our fellowship with God, but also to break our relationship with people. Again, I want to share, I'm going to share again from that outline. It's the same kind of outline I shared either. And it says, this is how Adam and Eve broke their relationship with God. They became convinced their way was better than God's way. They became self-conscious and hid. They tried to excuse and defend themselves. So sin, now we see, has brought hardship. So let's continue. Look at verse 20 through 24. Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from the animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God had banished them from the Garden of Eden and sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guide the way to the tree of life. Judgment again. Now it's to mankind, right? We went through all the different ones. Satan, man, the woman. Now it's pretty much mankind. Judgment has been issued. But you know what's also I see in judgment? I see God's amazing grace and mercy. He's a holy God. There couldn't be sin in his presence. But yet, I see grace. A new beginning was actually given to them. Now, they were under the curse of the sin, but God again provided for them, provided for their needs, all the way back from the clothing to how they would provide for themselves. It's also interesting we see the mentioning of the tree of life here. You know, God clearly in this passage removed their, our access to it. We no longer have access in the way that before, as in the garden. But that's not the end of the story, is it? As we, he's removed this. God is loving. And he has provided a way. And that way is Jesus. That we all can have our sins forgiven. We all can still have eternal life. And we all can be again in his presence. You know, we we're going to face many, many challenges. And as we go, we need to be convinced that God's way is better than our way. We need to be convinced that we don't, we don't need to hide from God. You know, we are, we are all going to slip up. We're all going to fall into sin. Don't hide. And no excuses. There's a lot of excuses given here, wasn't there? 
Sometimes you just got to say, I'm a wretched sinner. I fell. And come before him and his people. Let's walk together as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we walk through this world. But remember, we see a very important description of Satan here, don't we? What do we learn about him? We first learn he's a liar. He's a liar. And that sin never leads to anything but brokenness in every area of our lives. So we need to seek God. We need to seek him to provide for us in every single way, each and every day. That, you know, is, is one of my prayers as I pray each and every day. I ask for forgiveness, but I also pray that he would keep me from sin. He'd provide through his, his Holy Spirit in ways. So as we go through Genesis here, sin now has been introduced. But hope has also been introduced because we see God is merciful. He is graceful. He is loving. And we know Jesus. You know, he didn't have to do that. He didn't. So he's very merciful. I want to open it up for a few minutes. If anyone has any comments real quick, you know, no problem. It's kind of a small group. We want to make sure and just try that on Wednesday night. If anyone wants to share anything real quick on that, and then we're going to break into groups and we're going to pray.